0: Mom. I'm I'm
1: you. Yeah. you can see how much that means to him. Yes. It means a lot to everybody in this locker room, bro. We set the yeah, tone. We took it to them. We don't got it from no body, <laughs> bro. Yeah. We set the yeah. tone, man. Yeah.
2: Oh, Jim Trotter Jim Trotter players always say it and and you start to get glimpses of it when you hear it. when you kind of peep in on these locker room scenes players always say there's nothing like winning. There's nothing like winning Sundays and Mondays and Thursdays and coming up uh, in December <laughs> Saturdays too. there's nothing like it uh, even when your team is not seen by the outside world. As being a championship-level team, Super Bowl contender, playoff contender—it's just something about all these guys working together for a week, uh, kind of getting on the same page and executing and defying the odds. In this case, defying 11 and a half-point odds—they're 11 and a half-point underdogs last night in Philadelphia and winning the game. I was just excited uh, for the Washington Commanders. I know it meant a lot to Ron Rivera. He lost his mother. Uh, you saw one of their captains, Terry McLaurin, and one of the best receivers in football from Ohio State. Uh, you heard his comments about it. <laughs> the
0: Ohio State, I'm right? just,
2: of course, of course, it was just great. <laughs> hey, what what did you take away from that? I'm just curious. I, I I thought about you as this game was winding down. So I said, we really want to know what what Trotter uh, thinks about this. What did you think about it?
0: Well, several different things. Number one, as I always say to you every week, I, I don't understand people who bet on NFL games. Um, because it's crazy that you think you have it figured out and you really don't, you never do. At least I believe that, or at least I, I'm not going to speak for anyone else. I'm going to speak for myself. I thought this
2: was a no judgment zone. First of all, I thought this was a no judgment zone. I, I didn't sit down here to feel bad about myself. I just want to let you know that
0: Jim. I'm not judging. I'm just stating a fact that, that I personally could not bet on nfl games number one because of where i work but number two because i would lose everything i own that being said it's funny i texted a member of the commanders organization today that i've known for a long time and i said to him you know you guys have got a different type of resiliency about you they've won four or five after those early struggles and the only loss in these five games was by three points to a Minnesota club that has won seven in a row. And that was a game in which the, wow. the Commanders led by 10 in the second half. The other thing yeah. is to be able to do this at a time when organizationally all of this non-football stuff is going on and hovering over the franchise. I think it speaks to the character of the players. I think it speaks to the character of the coaching staff. And I think it speaks to the resiliency of this club that it is able to set all of that stuff aside and and the the ugly early start. Because as you know, Michael, it was ugly early. And to be able to turn it around and find their legs now, I think is a credit to uh, Ron Rivera, to the players and everybody in that football organization.
2: Look, Trotter, Ron Rivera is a good coach. We know that. And it's no surprise uh, that the Washington Commanders have a good coach. That's not that hasn't been their problem. They've had a lot of good coaches uh, in the Daniel Snyder era. He just usually does something to mess it up where those coaches uh, don't have everything they need to be successful. It might be interference from him. It might be interference from somebody he has put in charge. It could be those outside forces that you talk about. All sorts of things happen. To Washington Commanders coaches. So Ron Rivera has been there in the century. We talked about this before. Rivera has been there in the 21st century. Marty Schottenheimer has been there in the 21st century. Mike Shanahan has been there. And they didn't even know what they had because they had Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay and Mike McDaniel there too. So they have right. a lot of really talented coaches. But I mean, Rivera can coach. He's a good coach. And I, I, I think he is He's probably the man for this job right now. He has put up with a lot. He's put up with a lot from Snyder. And lest we forget, he's the one who had to be the face of it, whether he wanted to do it or not. He was the one who had to find his own defensive coordinator, Jack Del Rio, for calling January 6th at the Capitol a dust-up. So he had to get in front of that. He's the one who got emotional about the, the Carson Wentz Criticism said he stood on the table for Carson Wentz when Wentz was going through criticism again for, the thir- for his third franchise. But all that being said, and since he's a good coach, uh, Trotter, and I'm not, I can't speak for you, I'm not a good coach. <laughs> why, why can't he figure out? And why can't anybody in Washington figure out the last couple of years? They got their quarterback. Quarterback, they didn't have to trade for him. He's already there
0: uh, you because here's me? what he, no here is what happens as it relates to the quarterback position. Michael, we see a guy like T- Taylor Heineke and you see the good, but then typically typically not last night, but typically there will be a play or two in the game that he makes and you go why why yeah. and so what teams are always looking for and searching for is that quarterback where at the end of the game, they don't have to look back on those one or two plays and say why, but rather say, wow, because as you know, with the elite quarterbacks, what they are paid for primarily, if if we really want to boil it down, what do coaches always tell you? That NFL games will come down to two or three plays, two or three opportunities where you either make the play or you don't. And those franchise quarterbacks, the one that we talk about at that certain level, are the guys who typically make those plays. Taylor Heineke is not known for making those plays, and I'm not taking anything away from him because I think right now he should remain the starting quarterback for the Washington Commanders. And I've always liked his moxie since I saw him come in, you know, a couple of years ago, or even, um, um, you know, going back to Ron's time with him uh, in Carolina. So I'm not dumping on him. I'm just saying yeah. the reason that they were looking for another quarterback is they wanted that quarterback when those two to three plays come up has a better than than, than good chance of making those plays as opposed to not.
2: Okay, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, I've, I've come to this conclusion because I, I agree. I've heard a lot of people say that about uh, Taylor Haneke and others. And I just feel like those are rare birds. Okay, there, there aren't yeah. many of those guys. In right. the league, like I heard some people uh, talking uh, a couple of weeks ago here about Mac Jones, and they were complaining about Mac Jones and saying, "Well, you know, he just needs so much. Why? Right? Yeah, the offensive line's got to be just right, and he's got to got to he got to have the right play caller, and he's got to have weapons." And I'm thinking, that's most quarterbacks. It's most of them. And the ones who don't need that, they're probably going to Canton, and, and they're going to have a bust and Jim Trotter is going to vote on their candidacy and is going to say yes, put them through. Those are Hall of Fame-type individuals. Most of them, even the very good ones, need a lot of help. Like Kirk Cousins is better than Taylor Heineke, but he needs a lot of help, right? I mean, he's a good quarterback. Sure. And, you know, and so, no. I mean, you think about it, most, most of them do. Most of them in the AFC, if you look at the top teams in the AFC, NFC, We've been saying that constantly about Jimmy Garoppolo, how he needs help and how Ryan Tannehill needs help and needs to be managed. I mean, most Derek Carr (laughs) most quarterbacks fit that bill. So Heineke is not a difference maker. And if they until they get a difference maker, I'm talking about top five draft pick or something crazy happens and a Hall of Fame guy falls into their hands. Go ahead and roll with him. My point, Jim, and I said this to Gary Carter, who's the biggest Washington Commanders fan I know, when they traded for Carson Wentz, I said, so why are they giving up capital for Carson Wentz when he's just maybe marginally better than Taylor Heineke? I don't get it.
0: Well, I I can answer that because I asked that question to some people there. And what I was told, and not now but at the time, is that they really believed that Carson Wentz was closer to that Carson Wentz of near MVP of the MVP season where he was in the running until he got hurt when the Eagles won that Super Bowl than he was those last couple of years with the Eagles. And that's what they believed, and they believed that they could get that out of him. They were wrong. He's not that guy that – I forgot what year that was. What was it, 19 maybe when the Eagles won the Super Bowl? My my math is off. 17.
2: It was 17. Yeah. Think about yeah. how long see, ago. Okay. Yeah. That's five years. That Carson, that Carson is gone.
0: Yeah. We're well, not going to see yeah. him. Yeah, no, anymore. but I, no, agreed. We and, and and But they thought, they thought that they could get that guy. They loved everything about him. And I, I say that, again, not my opinion, because I wouldn't have made the deal for him. But from people involved who told me about it, that's what they thought. They really liked Carson Wentz. And look, I'm over the belief. I, Taylor Heineke, again, as I said to you, going back to his time in Carolina, when he's gotten opportunities, he's shown a lot of moxie. Now, does he make some mistakes at times? Yes, but every quarterback makes mistakes. But you always are looking at, or teams often are looking at, that other, the, the you know, the next shiny object, the one who has a little more. You know, if you're talking cars, you know, a little, a little, a little more. Mm. You know, um, and in football, we would talk about arm talent, those sorts of things, and 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 they always think they can find something better. Look, the reality is when you watch that team last night, these players believe in Taylor Heineke. Okay, he brings something to that club, and and there's a lot to be said for that. So again, as I say to you, my opinion is you roll with him. You know, you roll with him for as long as you need to, um, or That's as right. long as they keep winning. Uh, you don't. Well, you know the old saying, and we hate cliches. And and even as we teach our classes, we tell our students not to use them. But you know, don't fix what ain't broken. You know,
2: right? Hey, 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 Jim. Uh, and I, you know, I'm not trying to upset you here, uh, but Gary, could you uh, run that play one more time? That play where uh, Brandon Graham hits Taylor Heineke. Heineke had given himself up. He's given himself up here. He's a runner. But he's like, oh, no, no, I got nothing here. I'm going to be smart and give myself up. And there's Graham. And uh, and I think Jim, uh, on, on Monday night, that was an official who threw the flag. Uh, today, that's probably a school teacher or a banker or <laughs> accountant. I, I don't know what he's doing. But, you know, last night he happened to be, he was playing at being an NFL official. Now he's going to go back to his real life. And, you know, maybe directing traffic. I don't know, directing traffic, directing plays. I don't know what he is, but he's not full-time because the NFL doesn't believe in full-time officials. But in all seriousness, do you think – because there was the, – you know, I, I see these uh, headlines, and I saw one of the columnists on, on Philly.com last night. I went right to Philly.com uh, to see what their, what their take was. <laughs> and one of the uh, columnists said, hey, the officials cost uh. them that game last night. I'm like, yeah – No, No. I don't know. No, how about you? No, you You call it. You see it that way. I mean, they missed a face mask. That was a questionable call, but you know, you can't do that, Randy Graham. Uh, What did you think about the officials last night?
0: No, first of all, that wasn't a questionable call. That was a penalty. When a quarterback gives himself up in today's game, as you know, you can't touch him. Period. That's it. Let alone touch him in the in the head neck area. You can't do it. Yeah. And Brandon Graham admitted that after the game where he you know, he told a teammate, It's on me, you know, my mistake. So we can sit here and try and make excuses for him and whatnot, but he took ownership of that. Um, so from my standpoint, that was not a questionable call. The face mask, they missed it. Bottom line, but the reality is the Eagles committed how many turnovers? Three. They had had three all year and they committed three. You get a deep ball down the field, sets you up in a position to go and win this game, and, and you fumble it away. Things like that. That's what it costs the Eagles. So I'm not putting this on the refs at all. The Eagles didn't play a clean game. And I think if they're being honest, they would acknowledge that as well. It's no no, no crime in, in saying, you know, we beat ourselves today. I, no, it wasn't the officials. And, and yeah, when well, I say that, when I say that, I will also say... Man, there's been some bad officiating this year. Oh, some awful officiating. Okay, yes. Yes.
2: And I don't even think Jim. I don't even think last night's uh, game was the worst example of I think Buffalo, Minnesota. There's there's so many things that happen in that game. Not to mention, hey, you know, there are 12 guys right there. All you got to do, you know, part of the job is just one, two, three, four, five. Okay, okay. So you mean to tell me the math teacher didn't catch that? The math teacher right there? <laughs> he couldn't get it. But no, you know what? The biggest one, though, the biggest one for me, and I don't understand. This is so correctable. This is so correctable. We know that, okay, here is the Gabe Davis play. It wasn't a catch. They called it a catch. That was huge for Buffalo. It allows Buffalo to kick that time field goal, send it to overtime. But everybody knows coaches don't have a challenge in the last two minutes because right. the league says they don't want coaches to kind of manipulate this thing to kind of, you know, buy an extra timeout. So throw it, you know, right. uh, I don't want you to minute. Mani- I don't want you to kind of compromise the last two minutes. I got it. Okay, if that's the case, then the officials in my opinion should be even more steadfast more on alert as soon as the two-minute warning comes and they see anything on the field, they should automatically they should review everything, even if it's like, (laughs) oh, that's obviously a catch. Come back and review it because you don't want this conversation. Here we are on Tuesday. We're still talking about a mistake on Sunday. I know a lot of those guys probably got called on the actual carpet or virtual carpet by their bosses and said, what the hell are you doing? How did you miss that to avoid all that? Just slow it down a little bit. Either you have two options, either the officials Become very aggressive in the last two minutes of a half, or you allow coaches—if they still have a challenge—and this is Bill Belichick's proposal—if a coach has a challenge, and something happens in the last two minutes, the coach should be able to use that challenge. So I, I think I think one of those two options is the way to go. How do you see it?
0: So you want you want the four-hour football game is what you want. Is that what you're telling me? Amen. I'm just asking you want the four-hour football game. Is that what you want?
3: I,
2: the last, how long, okay, you tell me this. How long was that game? How long was that game on Sunday? Buffalo, Bro, I don't Buffalo know, but Minnesota. Here's,
0: here's what I do know. Nobody was people,
2: complaining about the length of game.
0: Why were people celebrating, the? in, in part, why was the league celebrating the Charger 49er game? Because it was just over three hours. And the league has made an emphasis in recent years of wanting to reduce the time of game. There, were, there was criticism that they were too long, too slow, those sorts of things. So I'm just saying to you, if they went to what you're talking about, we start going to, again, three and a half hour, four hour games, I would wager. So the league's not going to do that. Look, and, and here's the reality, Michael, and you know this. We are never going to completely take the human element out of the game. We're just not in the NFL. And as controversial as it is, and as, as much as people like me, will rail on on the officials for certain situations and whatnot what does the nfl always do in most cases when it's something truly egregious they'll wait to the offseason say the competition committee has talked about it and either they will address it for one year or just gloss over it and say that it's an aberration and move on and they'll do that with this
2: listen I, i've said you this about baseball too you are professional i've said this about baseball I said the same thing about baseball. If the game is good. The game is good. Nobody talks about the time of game. We talk about the time of game. When things start to get it starts to slow down. If there's a law and you're like, come on, come on. If we're only in the seventh inning, can we get this thing through? If they had added one review to the game, we just saw one review of that play that Gabe Davis play. So the game is an extra two minutes longer. Is anybody complaining is is LeBron James see, and not no. tweeting about it and Draymond Green and everybody else who weighed in on this game. On. This is the
0: game of you're, the year. It's incredible. Now, no, you're this, looking at one play, and you know yes. that in a game th- there will be more than that one play. You know that. I'm and saying, what do we have do
2: have with the, the officials NBA? do it in the last two minutes.
0: I've seen a lot you of great see. NBA games where I sit there and I'm like, how long are these final two minutes or whatever in an NBA game going to take? right, right. with well, all That's the timeouts Go ahead.
2: They're not doing it the right way. I'm saying officials discretion in the last two minutes a play like that. See, because what happens? I don't like to see this anytime. Here's a here's a uh, here's a red flag. Anytime a play like that happens and the offense rushes up. Okay, come on. Let's just snap the ball. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go before they have time to review it. You know, something is wrong about that. I'd rather them get it right and have an extra minute than to have a nice, tidy game, and you come out of this thing saying, man, it never even should have come to that. They got that thing so but anyway.
0: You. No, 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 then that's cool, but let me ask you this, and we always hear this from coaches. A mistake that is made in the first quarter is, 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 can be as impactful as a mistake that's made in the final two minutes, that's right? That's fair. Right. So then by, by that standard, should we, from, from Jump Street, Anytime we see a team rush up to the line after a play, do you stop the play there and say we want to look no, at it? Make sure the officials got it right.
2: No, I don't believe that. I, what my point is: look, in the last two minutes, like coaches have to use their discretion. discretion uh, in the first, you know, 28 minutes uh, of each half, when they have control, in the last two minutes of each half, so four minutes a game, they have no control. I'm saying for those four minutes, first half, second half where they have no no power over the situation then the officials should be diligent and the officials should come in and say we're going to review this they should always right. review it
0: which i get but That's i'm, I'm, I'm saying, saying to you but i'm saying to you in those 28 minutes of each half that play can be as impactful as what takes place in those final 2 minutes right. of a half so if a coach sees a team rush up to the line should he have to burn a potential timeout um, and not have the same sort of um, access to review that an official would have in those final two minutes, right? Because they've got New York back there. Everything else, Should, the coach is going to say, "Why don't I have the same thing that the officials have in those final two minutes, right? Why can't I get that same Look, stoppage that the officials get, right?"
2: Hey, as right. as the lawyers, as the lawyers there on the field, masquerading as uh, officials, <laughs> could tell you. It's not always going to be fair. You know, there's some imperfections <laughs> that you're going to have to live with. Hey, man, I got so much more I want to talk to you about. Let's take this break. I want to get your take. I want to get your take on you were uh, at, in Las Vegas for the Colts Raiders game. I'm to uh, hear you on that. And I also want to talk to you about James Wiseman. So let's take a break and uh, come back and talk about that stuff.
4: Look, it starts with me. So, um, you know, we're going to have to figure out something different to do to try to, you know, get free from some of these close scores and close games or and or make enough plays at the end to win, you know. So um, it always starts with us. It starts with me. So um, I'll, I'll, you know, I'm will i going to do everything I can do to try to figure out, you know, what we can do to do better uh, to, to change the results.
2: So, uh, Jim Trotter, I know you were at this game, Raiders, Colts. In, in my opinion, you can see this from a mile away. I mean, as a matter of fact, I called this maybe the day after uh, Jeff Saturday was hired by the Colts. I said, they're going to win. I think they'll beat the Raiders because the Raiders. I can confirm
0: that you we, did. I can confirm that you yeah, did. I can yeah, I mean, the
2: Raiders, the Raiders are getting worse. It's not like, you know, some, some teams have a, the record that they have. And they're getting better. For example, I know Carolina lost by 21 points a couple weeks ago to Cincinnati. Carolina's getting better. They're three and seven, but they're getting better. The Raiders are two and seven, whatever they are, and they're getting worse. Yeah. And I just I, I I was I was blown away, and I, I'll say this and I wanna I wanna hear your take. I was blown away by Mark Davis in his comments yesterday <clears throat> saying, Hey, Josh McDaniels, I know Josh, I like him, getting to know him. He's doing a fantastic job that's one of those votes of confidence if I were doing my job right now the way Josh McDaniels is doing his job (laughs) and my boss came in and said something like that to me I'd go into my beautiful wife I'd say Oni pack up everything say goodbye to our friends I'm about to get fired (laughs) okay because he's saying stuff he's saying stuff I wouldn't even say about myself and I'm I'm in a position like what is he talking about He's doing a fantastic job losing to a guy who's never coached in a league before and a play caller who's never called a single play. Jim, help, help this make sense to me.
0: I can. I, I've said this, um matter of fact, to Gary. In my three decades of covering the NFL, I've never been more wrong about a team. I'm the one who went out on on the limb after they lost to Kansas City and said, I believe they're about to go on a five-game run coming off the bye. And they win the first one against Houston. And then we see what has happened since then. So here's what's going on, Michael. It's a number of different things. Number one, as Derek Carr alluded to after the game and Devontae Adams alluded to, everyone in that locker room is not bought into this. And part of that is because the results have not been there. Two, when I sat down with Josh and talked to him about it a couple of weeks ago, he was preaching, uh, preaching patience, talking about how everything was new from the system, the play calling, um, you know, the coaches learning each other, the players learning the coaches, vice versa, all of those sorts of things. But the reality is um, the Raiders are not, and I'm, I'm stating the obvious, a good football team. Fundament- <clears throat> fundamentally, they make mistakes. Um they start out slow. You're playing the Colts and Jeff Saturday and all of that. And maybe they thought it was just going to be a walkover game and they come out and fall behind immediately in the first quarter. And then at the end of the game, what happens? They ask their best to beat Indianapolis's best. And what do I mean by that? They asked Devonte Adams to beat Stefan Gilmore on the final play of the game. And he didn't. And Devonte had a tremendous game. That's not taking anything away from him, but in that moment, there are two, he got two key guys, Derek Carr and Devontae Adams, couldn't get it done on that play. So it's ugly. And, and here's what I would say about Mark Davis. Now, we can say that he's gonna stand behind Josh because he doesn't want to be paying all of these different coaching staffs a bunch of money, but what he fails to realize or chooses to ignore or say he doesn't care, when he says something like that, it is not about the message he is sending to the media. It is about the message he is sending to his fan base, and if you heard yeah. those fans in that stadium after that Ooh. game, they were hot, and they were hot coming into the game. But then to lose that one, the boos were resounding. And so I think that that Mark Davis has to be careful here in terms of alienating some of his fan base because they're not they're not down with this right now. You know, it's been too many years of this, so. That's what I see in the Raiders. It's just it, it is just a total mess, and it's going to have to be a reboot, at least from a personnel side, when this is all over.
2: Let's talk about the other side, and Gary. Uh, sorry to put you on the spot here, but uh, if you have that sound, you the know, sound of, of Jeff Saturday, uh, you know Saturday and the Colts, and and uh, I'll, I'll give you the preamble, and then Gary play the sound from Saturday talking about uh, his critics. You know Saturday and the Colts, they got a lot of. Uh, <clears throat> there weren't a lot of positive comments about the firing of Frank Reich and replacing him a firing Frank Reich. People say, okay, that's just, that's just the way it goes. But the replacement with Jeff Saturday in the really, really entertaining and also bizarre press conference from Jim mercy, where he says it's good. He doesn't have experience. I like that. He didn't have experience at that fear. He's got that fear. He didn't have that fear that these coaches have. And, He's gonna be successful. You wouldn't bet against him on and on. He got a lot of criticism. He did. They won a game over the Raiders. Now I want to hear Saturday. Let's hear Saturday talking about kind of proving something to his critics.
1: Has been a a. An intense week, right, for everybody, and and so I think mostly when I'm thinking of myself, not not talking about this organization, but myself, for my family. You know, I don't, I don't, I, you know, we had talked about. I don't think they were prepared. I have been very good about not reading, not listening, not really being concerned with, um, but I have had to remind my family, and and I, I'm glad I do because I just showed the loyalty we have to each other. Uh, about, listen, man, the, the, the Lord is our defender. He's our, you know, he promotes, he directs, and and so don't be concerned with outside. I felt, you know, I felt conviction about the, the opportunity. I knew I was going to take it for, um, for those reasons. And, and I have no, um, you know, I got, I got no qualms with what anybody says about their opinion. Great. Uh, if they disagree with it. Still love them. Not really worried about it. I got other things I got to take care of.
2: All right. So look, I, I would, I would say, Jim, I know it's not realistic. If I were in that position or advising somebody in that position. I'd say yes, you're going to get criticism from a lot of people that the, the more the, 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 uh, the higher profile your job is the more critics you're going to get uh, NFL or anywhere else. If you uh, if you take on a position of authority or responsibility, you're going to have critics. Sometimes the critics come from inside the building. It's just the way it is, but I'd also say could you please respectfully if, if, if it's possible you please tell your family not to bring this stuff to you. Like, is this helpful? Is it helpful? Like, you always hear this in every sport. Like, guys, and was- you, I know you've dealt, I know you've dealt with this in your career, where a player will come to you and they may not have even heard what you said or read what you said, but somebody close to them right. did. That person's upset about it. They put some heat. They say, "Hey man, you can't let Jim Trotter say that." He said this, this, and that. They give you a take. They give. They have a terrible job of summarizing what you said or what you wrote. And now, players in your face. I just feel like, look, if you really want to be helpful to the Jeff Saturdays and Josh McDaniels and Sean McDermott, anybody in this game, just kind of them I don't bring that crap to them. Okay, what we do is just that's what we do. That's how I
0: I can tell. I can tell you it wasn't just his family. When I talked to him after the game, he told me he had a number of texts from people pointing out what friends had said and whatnot. And and look, Jeff's a big boy. And, And when he says he's cool with that, if you disagree with it and everything, he is as he told me after we finished our conversation. And I explained to him the things that I had said, and and asked him the questions I wanted to ask. Typical Jeff, man, love you, buddy. And and that was it. That's who he is. You, well, and on, that's why. What'd you ask him?
2: So so I know without betraying, I, I mean I know it's a friendship. You got to no, no, a no it was all on the record. Saturday, okay. No, no, it was well, all you, on the record.
0: I wrote about it. I said to him, um, you know, look, we we go back a little bit. We've worked together. We've golfed together. We've broken bread together. We've talked about life. We've talked about family more than we talk about football. And I said, I've always considered you to be a man of, of, um, of conviction. And I believe that you believe in meritocracy. And I said, having said that, um, when this offer was presented to you, did you ever give any consideration to turning it down? I said, because what do you all say as head coaches? You say, you ask your players, sometimes you are going to have to make personal sacrifices for the greater good. I said, did you consider turning this down to make a personal sacrifice for the greater good as it relates to merit and equality? And he told me no. And he said, number one, if, if he's being honest, yeah, he wanted the job, but number two, what he felt was that if he took it, he saw an opportunity to potentially do well and create opportunities for other players to go directly from the sideline or, or, or from the playing field to the sideline. And and he said, working at ESPN, he sees the boons of the world go from the broadcast um, studio to managing the Yankees. Or you see Mark Jackson go from broadcasting on ABC and ESPN to coaching the Warriors. Or you see Steve Nash go from not doing any of that to coaching the Brooklyn Nets. So he said, if I can create this opportunity for NFL players, then that's, he said, that's where the Lord is leading me. And Jeff, as everyone knows, is a, is a big faith guy. And he felt he was being directed by a higher power to accept this job. So, cause you know, the thing I said to him is the same thing I, I've said to you, Michael. I don't believe in writing critical things of people without at least telling them first what I'm writing and giving them an opportunity to address it. And so that's why I never wrote anything before. I actually had a chance to talk to Jeff after playing text tag with him during the week. And he accepted what I had to say, um, just as he has accepted the criticism of others. But you know what? When he says he's not impacted by it, he's not. He's focused on doing his job and and he believes he's being led by higher power. and And that's what it is.
2: Do you think he has proven anything with this victory? That No. That, is this a... No. A, right. Okay. Right.
0: No. It's, so, I mean, it's, one, it's the, Ra- it's the Raiders, right? And the other thing is, you know, this whole, you know, football coaches often talk about the season being a marathon and not a sprint. And this whole thing, I, I hate prisoners of the moment who a player can have one great game. And all of a sudden it's like any criticism of him in the past now becomes right. um, unfair or, you know, it was, it was right. just, it was, unfounded. It's like, no, he had a great game. We give him that, but history is history. And so Jeff Saturday's story isn't going to be written by this one game. It's going to be written by what happens over the next seven weeks and, and even beyond. So look, as I said to you then, and I said to him, you know, um, outside the locker room on Sunday, I'm rooting for him. I am, if I'm in battle, I want Jeff Saturday on my side. He's that type of guy. But in terms of this situation and the merits of this situation, yeah, I disagree with it. I don't think it was right. And don't tell me that it's never been done before because you and I talked about Josh McCown, you know, um, moving away from an opportunity to potentially coach the Houston Texans. You can't say no.
2: I'm fascinated by your conversation, and the last thing I'll uh, ask you, and then we'll, uh, we'll we'll take a quick break and, and bring on our guy Mike Jones. Um, is there anything that from that conversation you walked away and said, "Okay, maybe I should have considered this," or I have a different I have a different opinion? I, I know you have a different understanding because you got his his words on it, but did did his insight then? lead to a different opinion from you on this whole situation? Anything, any part of it?
0: No, because look, we never said that he couldn't be successful and and we still don't know if he will be. No one ever said that Jeff Saturday couldn't be successful as a head coach. The focus, at least I, I'll speak for me personally, not for anyone else. Mm-hmm. My focus was on the merits of it. Was it earned, was the opportunity earned in relationship to others who have spent years, if not decades, trying to climb that professional ladder to get to the seat that Jeff Saturday now occupies. That was my only focus in this. So when you see his connection with the players and he talks about he knows he can lead men, he can. When he, he got the job on Monday, he texted Matt Ryan that night and said, hey, I'd like to meet with you tomorrow, if nothing else, just to catch up. So Matt, who's been benched, he's going through some things in his mind about what's gone on. It's like, man, where's this going? Because he was shocked by the hiring of Jeff Saturday, just like every player was. So Matt meets with him the next day. So how does Jeff connect with him? He says, hey, I just want to know where you're at. He said, I know the emotions you're feeling. I've been through it. I was benched in Green Bay. So I just want to know where you're at. And implicit in all of that and very clear to Matt Ryan is that he's asking this question because he wants to get Matt back on the field if that is something mm. Matt wants. And Matt says, let me talk to my wife. And Matt told me, he said, A five-minute conversation, he goes back to Jeff and says, all right, Jeff, I'm ready, let's go. And then he wants to go out to practice and make sure physically he's okay. And once he was... Matt was the guy again. So Jeff's ability to empathize, if you will, with what Matt had gone through created a situation between those two where right away their trust, right? And Matt goes out and has one of his best games of the year. No turnovers, two touchdowns scored. And you know, Jeff had an impact because remember the play where Matt scrambles for 39 yards? Matt had never run for 39 yards in a game in his career. <laughs> that's a fact, yeah, right. let alone one Not his play. Not right. And, right. Oh, and you saw him heading for the sideline, and what did he do? It's like in his mind, something said, don't go out. And he cut up field for another 15, 20 yards or whatever. To me, and I may be wrong, but that's some of the Jeff Saturday impact. And Jonathan Taylor even said after the game, the one thing Jeff brought to that team during the week was passion. He renewed their passion for the game because he's authentic with it. That's who he is. So um, so yeah, none of us ever said he couldn't be successful. For me, it was more about the merits of, of attaining that job relative to others.
2: Yeah, and uh, as we talked with uh, Mike Jones coming up, you know, merit, meritocracy is gonna be a big word and a big topic at the end of the year because Jim, I'm convinced, especially if he is successful, let's say if they win one, they lose, let's say they get the him in the playoffs, series they're going to have to go through this whole process and we, we're we all going to know yep. that it's a sham. But it's going to happen. absolutely. Because anyway. I believe that job is his. No matter what happens, yep. I believe that job is his. Mike Jones coming up next.
4: He's been great for us since he's gotten here. Honestly, I think uh, he just prepares at a very high level. Um, you know, I know I said it time and time again, but he really plays like every play is his last, and uh, he plays with no fear, man. Even um, everything's not pretty, but uh, he's going to continue to give us chances to make plays down the field on the on the perimeter. He's going to extend plays with his legs and get the tough yards. He's going to get us into the right situations, and uh, you just feel confident with a guy back there like that. And you know, I, I think I said this again, but. Um, a lot of people want to measure his, uh, you know, his height, his arm his, all those things, but he can't measure what's inside of his chest. And, um, I think we all realize that. And, um, it's just been great to, to see him have success and, 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 put us in position to win games.
2: Well, that's, uh, Terry McLaurin on Taylor Heineke and Heineke certainly understands this. Uh, there's a playmaker that the Washington commanders have, and that guy, demands the ball. He needs to get the ball and Heineke is smart to get it to him. That's McLaurin. Uh, We got our own playmaker here, Mike Jones and Mike. uh, We were talking about a little bit earlier, Washington ending the uh, previously perfect season of the Philadelphia Eagles. And we're just wondering, you know, why not Heineke being the guy I know you used to cover this team very closely. Uh, Do you see Heineke as even like, let's say Back end starter, like, you know, starter number 25 in the league. Do you see him as a starting quarterback or you think he's a career backup?
3: I mean, for what they have right now, he should be their starter. Now, I mean, he's very limited. In um, you know, the long term, I don't know if he can grow into being any more than what he is right here. Um, but again, right now, this is what they need. They were on a slide. They were not in a good way. Um, Yes, they beat Chicago, you know, kind of limped through that win. Uh, But ever since Carson Wentz has gone out, there has been an energy. Um, Taylor Heineke, the way he plays, the way he gives his guys a chance, the gunslinger mentality, um, that really helps this team and gave them the spark they needed. And now um, here they are back to 500, just got a huge win in the division last night. And look, you heard Terry McLaurin right there. That guy was a forgotten man in this offense when Carson Wentz was the starting quarterback. Um, You know, Taylor Heineke has no doubt in his mind, hey, I'm going to go give this guy 50-50 balls. And, um, you know, Terry McLaurin is very calculated. He said it in his post-game interview with Scott Van Pelt, and he said it there at the post-game podium. He loves playing with that guy. He likes his mentality. He likes how he fights for extra yards. He was basically naming every single trait that Carson Wentz is not. Um, even Ooh. though he says, hey, I think we can win both of them. Ooh. He definitely was keeping heavy praise on Taylor Heineke.
4: Ooh. Oh,
0: I don't even know how to respond to that. Um, no, my, I, I agree with you, Mike. It's what I said to to Michael earlier. You know, you had a role with this guy. There's an energy about him. They believe in him. He believes in them. And as a coach, you're not going to get in the way of that. So um, I'm just fascinated – and to some degree, again, we were talking earlier, Michael, about how football people always want to look for the other thing. You know, the the greater arm talent, the greater mobility, the guy who's a few inches taller, all of that. And as Terry just alluded to or, or said directly, man, you can't measure what's inside his chest. This guy goes out and lays it on the line. So to me, it, it, I'd be shocked if he weren't their, their starter going forward.
3: Yeah, exactly. I mean, until the wheels fall off, you know, you roll with him, um, go as far as you can. And, you know, look, this guy showed them something a couple of years ago when he went toe to toe with Tom Brady and the Bucs. You know, they came up short, but he really battled despite not even having been on the team that long. And then last year, um, you know, he gave everything he had to gave a chance and then he's got a spark this year. And, yeah, he's limited. But. The numbers comparing his last year versus Wentz, there wasn't a huge, um, you know, a big jump, big disparity um, between those. And yeah, Carson Wentz is big. He looks the part and everything like that. But that that competitive fire, uh, that, you know, that short-term memory and just giving his guys a chance, that's something that can't really be taught and that Taylor Heineke has that Carson Wentz, um, you know, as of late, um you know ever since you know he got injured in 2017 we haven't seen that out of him
4: you know Mike, can Mike washington
3: sustain
0: this go ahead go ahead go ahead jim can can washington sustain this
3: i mean to a degree, uh, but eventually, you know, I think that they caught the Eagles at the right time. They caught the Eagles, um, you know, they were a little bit sloppy. Um, uh, Jalen Hurts wasn't quite as sharp um, as what he had been. They forced some turnovers like they had to. They were able to run the ball. Their their line was a little bit banged up. Um, so, you know, I think everything fell into place for them. Uh, now, what are you gonna do when you go against a team that's really got a high powered offense? Because the Eagles really did have chances there. Um, you know, the the ball bounced a certain way. I don't know if Washington can really go toe-to-toe with some of these teams, but they'll at least be competitive. They'll be in the thick of things. Just might come up a little bit short.
2: All right, uh, Mike and Jim, I, I think we're all over September because I, I'll speak for myself. Anybody I had going to the Super Bowl, playoff, construction, I saw all the mess. I didn't have Philadelphia being, doing as well as Philly's doing. Minnesota, definitely, definitely did have Minnesota and the Giants, so that being said, Mike, if you look at some of the contenders who were supposed to be there and what they're going through right now, uh, uh, Buffalo comes to mind. Buffalo's lost two straight games, or six and three. They haven't won a, a game in the AFC East. Josh Allen leads the league in interceptions. Is this a temporary blip from Buffalo, or is, is this something really to be concerned about? Deeply concerned, long term.
3: I mean. I don't know as far as deeply, yes, I mean, if you look at the last two games, four red zone interceptions in the last two games, that is deeply concerning. I think that Josh Allen needs to settle down, feeling like, you know, he plays in a way that he's fearless, he he doesn't have any regard for his body, um, which is great, and you love that he always gives you a chance, but he's trying to do too much, it seems. Um, you know, he's got to figure out, OK, how do I kind of rein this in just a little bit and protect the football a little bit? We've seen Patrick Mahomes go through this to a certain degree. Um, but, you know, Josh Allen, I think he's feeling that pressure of a hey, it's all on me. They've got to find ways to ease the pressure on him a little bit, commit to running the football a little bit more. They've got and we saw they were able to run the football. They had turnovers, but they finally were able to run the football. Somebody other than him. Um, if they can do that, you've got the defensive backing. You don't have to play hero ball every single time. If they can, if he can get that into his mind, then things will settle back down for them. But as long as he feels like he's got to have a cape every single week, um, then they could, uh, you know, put themselves in in unfavorable situations.
0: Yeah, you know, Michael, we've talked about this in the NFL. I mean, everyone is beatable, right? So. My September picks, preseason picks were at Super Bowl were the the Bills versus the Eagles. Whether it'll hold up or not, I, I don't know. It very well could. I just think by the end of the year, what matters is health and momentum. And if you're healthy, and if you're playing well, you got a shot, I don't care what your record is. I always laugh when people talk about clubs with losing records getting into the playoffs and doesn't mean anything. Go back and look at how they did in that first game when you have teams that have a losing record to get into the playoffs. But that said, um, I think the Bills will be fine. They've got to get healthy in their secondary, in particular, it is tremendously beat up. Um, and Josh, he is trying to carry too much of the load, but I think they'll be all right. Minnesota, um, I did have them making the playoffs this year in my preseason picks, but, you know, to say that I would think that they would be, um, have one loss at this point in the season? No, of course not. But <clears throat> the thing that's so impressive about Minnesota and, and this depends on your perspective or which prism you want to look through, their seven-game win streak all have been by one possession. Every game has been decided by one possession. And you can say they're lucky and the ball's bouncing their way or they're finding way, or you can say, as one coach said to me, what that means is that they have competitive character. And when those games are tight, mm. they find a way to get it done. So um, to me, that was a huge win for, for Minnesota yeah. up there on the road. On the road in those conditions, knowing that everyone is saying this is the prove it game. So I'm not one of those that, that, that is going to think that Minnesota somehow is lucked into this. They have earned what they've All gotten.
2: Right. We, we gotta get this going before 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 we uh, get out of here. Uh Mike Jones, we talked about it yesterday with Michael Smith. He says the Justin Jefferson catch is best one he's ever seen. Best one he's ever seen. How about you? I, I would... If 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 not that, which one?
3: No, what, I'd have to agree. The best one you've seen? Wow. I, I'd have okay. to agree because, listen, the Odell was impressive because you reached back, but this guy had a defensive back with two hands on the ball for a moment, and he still was able to pull that thing down and maintain possession of it as he came down. I mean, that, I mean, Woo! in the moment that it was in as well, you, I don't know that you can top that right there.
0: That
4: should have been... Trotter.
0: Everyone's cool. going to say that Tyree catches the one that that... You know, you would have to compare it to it to be able to pin the ball against your helmet in a Super Bowl in that situation with Rodney Harrison draped over your shoulder. So, but look, this was we're one-handed. More, like, I, I, I get it, but to me, this is like asking me cake or ice cream. You know, I'm gonna say both. Okay, okay.
2: <laughs> it's ice cream. It's, it's not. It's not both. It's ice cream.
1: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed.
2: I, I appreciate it. you always have Brittany Grinder in your feed. I like that. I mean it's just the message you're sending she is not forgotten. Is that the message?
0: That's absolutely the message. Just want her to know that. Not that she's sitting over there watching us, but
4: yes.
2: I love that. Hey, thanks for hanging out with us. We'll see you soon, brother from another.